Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And we're going to talk today about a very specific question that one of our listeners has asked us regarding uh, reliability allocation, which is very coincidentally useful. That's the wrong term. Um, <laughs> let's just call it coincidental that I, it follows a, an evening I spent over here in Canada teaching a course on reliability, reliability allocation. So hopefully my responses are going to be contemporary and cutting edge. Well, uh, let's let's keep them useful. There. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I, well, the part of the message I don't, I and I don't have the message up in front of me at the moment. But my favorite mm-hmm. part was the very first line. It says, you know, I really appreciate the speaking of reliability podcast or something like that. So we got a compliment. So we appreciate that. That's always welcome. Yeah. Uh, and and then it was followed by a, a pretty interesting question, Chris. If you could summarize that. Right, so it's from a, a listener called Sam, and he talks about a complex project which has 10 systems, and each of those systems has between 50 to 100 components. So overall, we have 500 to 1,000 components. And some of those systems are always required for operation. Some are standby that need to operate on demand. Some are uh, also there's three um, performance requirements that over a period of 20 years, the system has to have an availability of at least 90%. Um, this is not a requirement, but it it says that there's a planned 15-day shutdown for maintenance every two years, which actually isn't a lot. So every two years, there's two, two weeks of maintenance. And unplanned downtime for the whole project product should be less than five days per year, averaged over 20 years. He then asks, using these, what approach would you take to allocate specific reliability targets to each system, does it make to sen- it makes sense to allocate unavailability targets? And if so, how? And can availability requirements inform or be used to create reliability goals? He then goes on to say uh, say that he hopes this is not a stupid question, and it certainly is not. He says, but he says that I understand availability is a, is a function of reliability and maintainability, and I'm struggling to understand the relationship between them all when it comes to allocation of targets and requirements. So that's the preamble to the conversation we are about to have. Yeah, it's a it's one when I first read through it, it was, well, there's an infinite number of solutions to this and a model, right. can, you know, a basic block diagram that allows, you know, and not, not simplifying everything, just the failure rates, you know, don't, take the next step and put the distributions in it. There's a handful mm-hmm. of different software packages that allow you to put you know, maintenance policies, uh, maintenance distributions of time to repair, along with uh, the expected component reliability distributions and so on. And then it, it'll run out uh, basically a simulation for you out for the duration you're, you want. And, and then you can play with different what are you technically capable of doing? What's your best estimate for, you know, is there anything that's a single point failure type stuff or is there other constraints you can, and then work your way into where you get uh, some options to solve the problem and what 
what reliability do you need to focus on for these various mm -hmm. systems? And that's kind of a generic answer. Uh, um, yet I think in practice is one thing that caught my eye is that these parts of the, the part of the overall system just have to always work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, there's your constraint because if their reliability is less than 90% in and of themselves, then everything else has to be perfect and you're kind of done. Yeah. Right. Or if it's good enough, but you have redundancy, you can plus it up and, and it, it just gets unraveled real quick of so many options, but you got to start somewhere. Right. So, I mean, the first thing I, I mean, I dare say that if I was speaking directly to Sam, this would be cleared up, but I don't understand the three uh, performance requirements. So it was a 90% availability over 20 years. Planned 15-day shutdown for maintenance every two years and unplanned downtime needs to be five days per year or less on average. Now, over two years, that means you're supposed to have no more than 15 days preventive maintenance or planned shutdown and then 10 days, five days per year. So that takes it from 730 days down to, down to 705. And that of itself equates to an availability of 96.6% roughly. So is there some mismatch between those three um, uh, performance requirements? And no doubt Sam could clarify that. There's probably some sort of you know, additional sort of, I don't know. Well, it's I, I don't like the ones where it's on average over 20 years because you can claim victory after five years if you consume all of your allocated over 20 and, and assume that it's going to be perfect because you've had got past the growing pains argument. I suspect that they probably thought of it as, well, if we maintain 96% early on, there's gonna be a degradation of the system over time that mm -hmm. we wanna put a floor under that. Perhaps. Perhaps, or perhaps not, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you're saying, and that's what, that's what I'm sort of caveating, caveating it with, a comment that maybe if we were speaking directly to Sam's head, he could provide additional context, which would, when we both go, oh, okay, I understand where that comes. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think the first thing I noticed apart from that is this is 100% availability. Availability is what's driving everything here. Um, and of course, you will say, well, of course, that's based on, as Sam does, later in the email he sent to us, availability is a function of reliability and maintainability. That's fine. They are parameters or factors that influence the performance metric which matters, which is availability. Um, so when I'm confronted with these challenges, I always tell my students, whoever I'm speaking to, is don't make it harder than it needs to be. If it's an availability requirement, keep it an availability requirement to as low a level as possible and then allow the individual designers and design teams work out how to achieve that availability target for um, their individual design conundrums. Yeah, no, that's that's a good idea because it it because if a unit doesn't isn't uh, restorable or maintainable or whatever, or if it's just a straight out replacement to it, uh, it has no redundancy. It's just what I would call a single point failure in the system. Mm -hmm. If you can replace it quick enough, you know, the spares on site and you just swap it out and, or it automatically, right. you know, goes to a standby or something. It still meets the availability requirement. 
right. yet it allows the flexibility for all those individual elements of the system to be you know meet all of the uh, uh, technical requirements and feasibility and all the other stuff that we can actually do I, absolutely and i so that's a, you, what you want to do is you never want to take flexibility away from your design teams. Uh, so if you're at the very highest level, say, well, availability 90%, therefore the MTBF needs to be 300 days and the MTTR can be no more than, you know, 330. I've got the math a bit wrong. So 270 days for MTBF and MTTR can be no greater than 30 days. Therefore, 270 days of uptime, 30 days of downtime, 90% were good. But, and I've seen many organizations try and convert it into an MTBF and MTTR fest as uh, the highest level. But if you keep it as an availability thing, that means that you do allow, um, for example, uh, we know every two years it's going to be shut down. Uh, the, the system's going to be shut down for maintenance. Uh, and that's working out when, which part to use or which which thing to use, which material to use, such that it will be appropriate for a two-year servicing interval. The MTBF's got nothing to do with that. Yep. That's yeah, a very good different... actually actually hinders the ability to do it well, the maintenance right. strategy. But for the availability, though, Right. If it's 90% available at the total high system level, mm-hmm. it works just the same. If I understand it correctly, it works just the same as reliability. Well, the availability yeah. of your 10 subsystems need to be higher. They need to be right. probably 99% available individually. But then depending on the complexity of the individual systems and how, you know, the technical feasibility, it's still an allocation problem of. They all don't need to be 99% available over 20 years. If one of them's a keyboard and the other one's a CPU board, right? Yep. They have different potential capability to, to achieve it. Um, so adjust as you go. Right. And, and uh, one of the webinars we have on Ascendo where, you know, it's three ways to do reliability allocation. We go through how you come up with allocation factors and it sounds a lot simpler that, Sorry, it sounds a lot more complex than it actually is. Oh, it is simpler than it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means you of these 10 systems, you work out, all right, which one's going to keep me up at night the most? Which one's going to cause the most failures? And then that's the one that gets the easiest, in this case, availability target. Mm-hmm. The component which is, you know, the most mature or what have you. We have great data on it that it's five nines right. available already. Right. Don't mess with it. <laughs> right. So it's the one that gets the hardest or highest reliability target and when you availability target in this case, sorry. And when you do the allocation approach right, you you sort of get the, the nice spread between complex or, or say challenging systems with easy targets through to robust non-challenging systems, which get the harder targets. And just that simple you know, approach at the very start can save you millions of dollars in the years on schedule of schedule loss. Yeah. And that can be done on a simple spreadsheet is the product yeah. of those 10 systems availability has to meet your, your top level system availability target. And there's equations to go the other way where you take those allocation factors, start with 90% and it spits out, okay, system number one, 99.2%, system number two, 98.3%, so on and so forth. Yeah. 
But okay. I find that yeah. then you get the 10 lead designers for the different elements of that system in the room and see which one cringes and go, all right, you need a, a simpler one or <laughs> you need, uh, and then there's a lot of negotiating going on at that point. Right. And saying, well, I, I need a little more flexibility or we've never done this before. And, but that's, that's where the conversation starts. So again, the course I just ran with um with my 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 students, one of the so- systems was a software system. It was uh, the the actual product we were looking at was a turret positioning system, which is a device which essentially turns the turrets and moves a barrel up and down and on things like tanks, and the ability to have the uh, a gunner which ha- essentially has like a PlayStation joystick, for lack of a better term, or PlayStation mm-hmm. controller. Uh, you have this device which turns a turret, makes the barrel go up and down. So no matter how fast the tank's driving, if it hits a rock, goes over a ditch, goes into a creek line, or turns left to right, that barrel is pointing exactly the same point. And, and you have gyroscopes and everything else to keep. Uh, so the computer knows what it needs to do and how far it needs to turn the turret, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, of course, a big component of that is software. And so when I did my exercise with my students and, most of them actually said, you know what, software is a system that's going to keep me up at night in terms of reliability. Everything else seems relatively straightforward in terms of them being robust technologies such as mm-hmm. gear teeth and electric motors. Of course, uh, gyroscopes not- we've had for you know forever. So they they tend right. to do all right. So I'm not not saying there's no design challenges. It's just that we are we know how to do them right, and so they were quite justifiably concerned with the software system. So that one's the one that had the highest allocation factor, which meant it got the easiest reliability target. And then the next question was, well, how do we know, you know, during design that software is good to go? And you say, well, that's a, that's a complex question. But if you're that concerned about it, then you need to understand that you might have to have a one to two year betting in program where you monitor the software once these things are being used in the real world and you look where you have an aggressive software engineering patching policy or upgrade policy where you maybe have some more uh, diagnostics than you'd ordinarily have to try and pick up bugs during the introduction of the service because that's you still have a reliability target to meet and software is notoriously difficult to validate or verify when it comes to quantifying reliability. So it just means that you know this is something we need to do during the first six months, three months, six months, one year, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you also know when you're good. If if, if uh, you don't measure it, then you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it, it's it's not necessarily, it, it, it gives you something to aim at and then you work out how to get there. Um, but the point is, again, if, if you try and break this down at the height, the first thing you try and do is break this down to MTBF, MTTR, salad of, of numbers then you remove all that wonderful flexibility that these uh, your young design teams should be allowed to explore and find the cheapest most most elegant uh, solution to your you know performance problems um so it's always focus work out what's a, what the main thing is and keep the main thing the main thing yeah one of the things i i i when i run into this kind of thing is working with a team is there almost always competing for a limited bucket of resources. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be mechanical and software and different elements of the program that are <clears throat> all trying to get to the same overall objective. Yet I've, I have found that 
different silos of engineering talent tend to think they have the biggest challenge and they need the most lenient uh, goals to achieve in general, or they're howling for more resources to get it done. It's the, it's a very inexpensive technique and it's part of the challenges is you got to realize that that allocation is not set in stone. You're going to learn things as you go through the process that, you know, we just can't get there from here or we don't have space or the weight allocation to do redundancy there. And we need to make up the difference by making other parts of it more restrictive and take some margin away here, there, and here. It's got to be flexible. It's not fixed in stone. It's like any other requirement in the document that there's a way to change requirements. And it's part of that is the how you achieve the overall objective in availability or reliability is be flexible. And I think that's what you're saying, Chris. The other part of it is, is there's this other bucket of unknown unknown. It's the interaction of these systems and 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 lots of basic models don't capture that very well. No. I mean, we get into great big arguments whether the cable, if it starts at this box and goes to that box, which box it has to account for the cable's reliability. And like, stop it. <laughs> you know, let's let's focus on a bigger picture here. What if that box and this box just don't like each other because of timing issues or this, that, or the other. Yep. And neither one has failed in its individual specs, but together they don't work. So I tend to advertise is that if you have 10 systems in your first, second level of the model, you, uh, you got an overall system and has 10 systems or subsystems in it is add an 11th one as a buffer. <laughs> and just as an imaginary, the parts we don't know about yet and use that to, you know, allocate a little extra wiggle room for the teams that need it and account for the unknowns. Give yourself a bit of a buffer, because if you have to, say, give the power supply a bit more leniency on the a, a less or more lenient availability target, it's got to come from somewhere. Right. You know, so give yourself some margin in a buffer there so you can appreciate um, the various changes that are, are going to happen, are going to be required to, to occur. Or well, in, in said webinar, when we talk about, I talk about reliability, reliability allocation, I go through what is essentially a six-step process. And only one of those steps is coming up with the numbers. Um <laughs> The, the the previous steps involve getting your goals and everything else right, but mm-hmm. one of the most important steps is exactly what you spoke about, but in a different way or using a different approach. Mm-hmm. Where I asked the design team lead to come to work out. But let's use the term availability design margin because in this case we're talking about availability, mm-hmm. and that means that if the requirement or specification is ninety percent. Maybe the design team lead or the program manager or whoever the right, whatever the right term is, they say, I'm going to keep a third of that. I'm going to keep a third of that failure probability. So the overall system reliability target is 93.3%. I'm going to keep 3.3% of that failure probability or unavailability probability in my back pocket. I'm going to use that 93.3% to come up with targets for all my 10 systems. And because I've taken away some of that unavailability, I will 
of course, increase. That means it will increase the targets for each one of our systems, mm-hmm. which means they have to be aspirational, which is what you want, because one of those, two of those, three of those, like you said, will trip over one of those unknown unknowns, and they'll go, bugger. Man, we can't get there anymore. There. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so if you've had the foresight to keep that margin as a, as the leader in your back pocket, if one of your team comes across to you and says, boss, we can't make this target, but you might be able to reach into that back pocket and say, oh, no worries, I can drop your target by 2% because I've kept margin in my back pocket. And that is a fast, simple, and free solution to what would otherwise be a crippling reliability conundrum or availability conundrum had you not kept that margin in your back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you don't see that in textbooks about modeling and allocation <laughs> or anything else. I think that comes from experience. Going, yeah. You know, I wish I had an extra percent here somewhere. Well, here we go. <laughs> no, and people say, well, what, how much margin should I keep? You know, what's the right number? So, well, that's where it comes down to experience. If the, if your product is developmental with lots of new technologies, you want a hell of a lot more margin because you're going to have a hell of a lot more uncertainties. Yep. If this is just an incremental change, you might need smaller margins. Yeah. You know, and one of the advantages of doing that when you have a, a repairable system, in my mind, is that if you actually achieve the higher target, you get the 93.3% availability and it, your actual design achieves that, you need less spares. You need less <clears throat> maintenance activity. You need all this other stuff that you can do away with. And it right. it achieves your goals with margin, which is not a bad thing. Right. And some people will be listening to it. Yeah, okay. But you know, you, you've increased their targets, but now it's going to make it more expensive, blah, blah, blah. And you say, no, no, we, we increased their targets. We haven't increased budget. We haven't increased schedule. But by increasing the targets without increasing budget or schedule, we are now going to explore seeing how much bet, how better we can go or by challenging our design teams with their existing resources, because some will be able to exceed the yeah. targets you give them. And it's those teams that are able to do that are the ones that essentially give you that buffer to accommodate those teams that struggle. And in this conversation, we're not saying one team's necessarily better than another, another but if you're designing something from scratch, you just have those unknowns, unknowns, as you and Donald Robinsfeld like talking about. Um <laughs> But it allows you to <laughs> never been cared, can, compared to Rumsfeld before. That's I'll have to think about that one. Whether that's a compliment compare, or not. <laughs> I didn't compare you. I just categorized you as a, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No. Um, but anyway, I think we kind of covered a couple of different options. I think we'll have to remember to put a link into the to that podcast you did or the webinar we mm-hmm. did on um on a, a allocation, which I think mm-hmm. it covers a couple of these things. And then there's always the option that they could, whoever the or Sam and team could give you a shout and have a, a class because I think you've got the yeah. material as you recently did one of these. Did. Yeah. yeah. Lots of options there. So, but anyway, it's a, thanks Sam for the question. And uh, we good question. sent, yeah, good question. And it's, it's, it's one of those that, yeah, there's an infinite number of solutions to this one. So have fun, <laughs> pick one, <laughs> see how it works. Uh, there's a better solution than others. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, without a lot of details about your system and context and all the other stuff, it's 
Mm-hmm. It mathematically, I like that idea, Chris. Is keep it in availability as long as possible. Keep the flexibility yeah. on your team. I think that's that's key. I missed that when I res- initially responded to him. So I'll we'll have to let him know that we have some more thought. And I even told him in the <laughs> message I responded to him. I've been holding off answering this because I wanted to talk to Chris about it. So I'm oh, okay, there you go. So all good. So so Sam sent a, a question to us. Um, you could do that equally well. You don't have to compliment our show. You could tell us some constructive criticism. Yeah, I do. What are you about? Well, there's that. that. You know, we got to stroke the ego once in a while here and think <laughs> that we're doing good. Um, yet, as you've known, if any of you have listened to this part to the end of the show before, as you know, that we always look for questions and you can do that at Ascendo reliability.com slash go slash SOR. And there's a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Chris and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn and our about pages. Um, We're not shy about making ourselves available to answer your questions. And (laughs) this one was specific saying, hey, this might be a good topic for your show. And Sam was right on that. So we're looking forward to your ideas and suggestions and questions. So let us know. So with that, Chris, I think we'll we'll wrap this one up. See you, Fred. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.